0: Hi, Tony Hines here. You're listening to the Chain Reaction podcast, all about supply chain advantage. This is the news rounder, all things impacting global supply chains this week. Airbus chief executive Guillaume Faure said that there were still supply chain issues, but the situation was improving. Airbus has seen a return in the market for wide-body planes, and there's an overall recovery in business since the pandemic. It was announced on Thursday that they were confident they would meet a delivery target of 75A320 jets a month in 2026 and would continue to get through a company backlog of 8,600 planes. According to Faray, there's more demand than supply at the moment for aircraft. And Airbus plans to take on another 20 to 25,000 workers in France alone. So some good news. Toyota has announced that they will, within a couple of years, be able to launch globally electric vehicles with solid-state batteries. They'll charge faster, last longer, and be lighter. This was announced at an investment summit in India on Thursday. Solid-state batteries improve the driving range of electric vehicles considerably. It was announced recently that such batteries can cover about 700 miles or 1,000 kilometers in one charge, and that they can be charged within 10 minutes. So, I think they gave the range at this particular meeting as 1,200 kilometers and 750 miles, but I've heard 1,000 kilometers and 700 miles previously. But whatever it is, it's a lot better than presently. EVs make up about 2% of India's car sales last year, but the government wants to achieve 30% by 2030. And the solid-state batteries that Toyota make will be revolutionary in changing the economics and, of course, building consumer confidence in the EV market. Maersk has announced it's avoiding the Panama Canal because of low water levels. The company's services will bypass the canal and use rail transport to move cargo across Panama. Some delays will be expected to southbound vessels. HAPAG Lloyd has said that they will not be following the Maersk in this strategy. Maersk will be using trains that will avoid the drought hit Panama Canal for some vessels. And this workaround comes as vessel owners are also rerouting ships around the Red Sea area, avoiding the Suez Canal because of the attacks by Houthi rebels. So all this is putting shipping costs up. The Panama Canal Authority reduced the amount and weight of vessels passing through based on current and projected water levels in Gatun Lake the rainfall-fed principal reservoir that floats ships through the canal lock system. The Panama Railway is 47 miles long, it's 76 kilometres, and it runs adjacent to the canal that connects the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. It was already being used by Maersk and other ship owners to temporarily offload containers with heavy weights so that the ships could pass through and avoid draft restrictions. So essentially they created a land bridge to keep things moving. Merck's OCT service connection has essentially created two loops, connecting Australia and New Zealand on the one side, with the US East Coast cities of Philadelphia, Charleston, South Carolina, via the Panama Canal, but they've now decided to have these two loops, one on the Atlantic and one on the Pacific. The service omitting the Panama Canal would consist of two transits a week. All other Merck's services continue as planned through the canal. Panama's drought was worsened by the El Nino weather phenomenon, and they've decreased transit slots in the canal, already forcing fuel tankers and grain shippers to take longer routes to avoid any congestion. Musk said the rerouting could lead to some delays for southbound vessels, but didn't think it would impact delays to cargo stopping in Philadelphia and Charleston. Cargo en route to Catagena, Colombia, would be served by alternative vessels. Global trade declined by 1.3% from November to December 23 as a result of the Red Sea attacks, which forced volumes of cargo to fall. The French shipping company, CMA CGM, said that in November reduced transit slots in the Panama Canal, together with increased canal tariffs earlier in the year, were taking a severe toll on operations. Chain well, there are some good episodes which are heading your way in February. And I just want to alert you to those right here, right now. And first of all, we have an interview with Bindya Verkeel and she's CEO of Resolink. And they're an interesting company and I'm sure you'll want to find out more about what they're doing to understand what's happening around the globe. So that's one terrific program heading your way. And there are others, of course, coming along. There's one on quality, revisiting quality after the 737 MAX 9 problems and all the recalls in the automobile industry. We decided it was time to take a look at quality again and revisit that particular topic. And there are others too, and you can find out all the details on the Chain Reaction website. So have a look, drop by and pick those up as they come. Better still, subscribe and you'll be first to know. Reuters reported this week that Spanish billionaire Armando Ortega bought a logistics centre in the Netherlands, which is currently used by the British fashion retailer Primark. The cost of that warehouse? 110 million euros or 121 million US dollars. Ortega, of course, is the founder of the fashion group Inditex, which owns Zara. And he bought the 87,000 square metre property in Rosendahl from Blackstone. So if you've got more stock, you need big warehouses. Is that the message? Or is this a strategic move? Well, we need to find out more about what this move means for Inditex. China's crude oil imports hit an all time high in twenty twenty three. Customs data shows that fuel demand has recovered since the pandemic. China imported eleven percent more crude last year against its twenty twenty two figures. Five hundred and sixty three 0.99 million metric tonnes, equivalent to 11.28 million barrels per day, up from the previous record of 10.81 million barrels a day in 2020. Imports in December total 48.36 million tonnes, or 11.39 million barrels a day, and that's up from November's figures of 10.33 million barrels per day. Domestic passenger transport levels increased steadily through 2023, after the country exited from its pandemic restrictions. In November 2022. China's highway traffic for 2023 has gone up 43.6% as a result on the previous year. So a lot more people out and about. Domestic air travel also recovered rapidly. And that went up by 27% on the previous year. So it's at record levels. If you look back at some data over the past 10 years. Back to 2013. The China General Administration of Customs. Indicates there was just 5.63 million barrels per day. Then if you jump to 2018, it had steadily increased up to 9.24 million barrels a day, hitting a peak in 2020 of 10.82, and then it dropped during the years of the pandemic. After that, 2021, down to 10.26 and down to 10.17 in 2022. But it's right back up there in 2023 to 11.28, so it's higher than ever, continuing the steady growth apart from the couple of years blip on the pandemic period. Amazon is about to cut 5% of the workforce for its Audible division. The news comes a day after the e-commerce giant said it would lay off hundreds of employees in its streaming and studio business as tech companies extend massive job cuts over the past two years into 2024. Audible CEO Bob Garrigan said that he was hoping that these decisions would strengthen the business for the long term. Amazon bought audiobook platform Audible for about 300 million US dollars back in 2008. Google's parent Alphabet this week also said it was laying off hundreds of employees across multiple teams. And these job cuts are happening in other parts of the tech industry too. Last year, Amazon cut more than 27,000 jobs as part of a wave of US tech layoffs. The company had previously hired heavily during the pandemic period. So I'm guessing this is a readjustment for the realignment of trade across different channels. And, of course, competition coming back from other companies that were unable to compete as effectively during the pandemic period. Microsoft and Apple have been jostling for the top position in the tech industry. And this week, shares in Apple closed 0.3% lower, giving the company a market capitalization of 2.886 trillion US dollars. Microsoft's stock closed 0.5% higher, giving it a market valuation of 2.859 trillion US dollars. But at one point during the day's trading, the company was briefly worth 2.903 trillion, which makes it worth more than Apple. But by the close of business, Apple was back at the top. Microsoft has benefited, of course, this year from the generative AI evolution, so it's pushing its stock higher. So what does 2024 hold for both of these companies? Well, while Apple has fallen back by 3.3% in January, Microsoft rose 1.8%. Looking forward to the year ahead, Apple's trading on a price-earning ratio of 28, which is well above the average of 19 over the past 10 years. LSEG data. Microsoft is trading around 31 times forward earnings, above its 10-year average of 24. So both of these companies are doing well, despite the difficult market conditions. Meanwhile, Alphabet, Google's parent company, said it was laying off hundreds of employees across different teams, with Fitbit founders James Park and Eric Friedman also about to leave the company, as the tech giant cuts its costs. Google said it will lay off hundreds at its voice assistant unit, while a few hundred roles Will be eliminated on the hardware teams responsible for Pixel, Nest, and Fitbit. The majority of people in the augmented reality team are being let go. Hundreds of roles in the search giant's central engineering team are also impacted. Google bought the health and fitness tracking company Fitbit for 2.1 billion US dollars in 2021, but it's continued to roll out new versions of Pixel Watch, a product that competes directly with some of Fitbit's devices, and also the Apple Watch. So, essentially, they take over the competitor, the competitor's competition comes from within the buying organisation, and uh, it's trying to integrate the two businesses, I suspect. So that's what's happening, by the looks of things, in that situation. Back in January 23, Alphabet announced plans to cut 12,000 jobs, which was about 6% of its global workforce. And as of September 23, Alphabet had 182,381 employees globally. Britain's competition regulator is planning to make big tech companies give their rivals greater access to the data and limit them from promoting their own products under new powers. The Competition and Market Authority has strengthened its oversight of big tech firms such as Facebook, Meta and Google Parent Alphabet along with Amazon and Apple and it's shown its willingness to take them on. It made it clear last year when it intervened in Microsoft's purchase of Call of Duty maker Activision Blizzard, and again more recently when it said it would review US giant's deal with ChatGPT maker OpenAI. This new digital markets competition regime will ensure that tech challenger firms can bring forward generally disruptive and exciting new innovations and create products for consumers. The CMA in the UK has set up a dedicated digital markets unit more than two years ago, And it's armed with expertise to examine rapidly evolving markets in the social media space. And these big tech companies with designated status will have to comply with the new rules set down by the CMA. The CMA has strengthened its position following Brexit, its removal from European Union constraints. And it wants to see a fair market with consumers offered choice. Tesla's Berlin plant has said that they will halt production. For two weeks, and this is due to the disruptions taking place to global sea traffic in the Red Sea with the rerouting of ships around the Cape of Good Hope. It's taking a bit longer for components to arrive from China. Another interesting development this week is that the rental firm Hertz Global Holdings is selling about 20,000 electric vehicles, including Teslas, from its US fleet. About two years after a deal with the automaker offered its vehicles for rent. EV demand is cooling. Hertz will instead opt for gas-powered vehicles, it said on Thursday, citing higher expenses related to collisions and damage for EVs, even though it had aimed to convert 25% of its fleet by 2024. So that appears to be a a change of strategy. The CEO, Stephen Scher had last year flagged headwinds from higher expenses for its EV fleet, particularly Tesla's. And so now it's uh, come to roost, so they're switching back to combustion engine vehicles. Hertz had even limited the torque and speed on EVs and only offered it to experienced users on the platforms. After certain users had front-end collisions, Tesla's stock was down about 3% this week. It means that the smooth road to EV growth is, yet again, challenged through the experience of use and maybe some of the targets that have been set by EV manufacturers will need to be lowered as a consequence. Many consumers, of course, enjoy the driving experience but the uh, and the fuel savings, but there are hidden costs to EV ownership, especially for collision damage. And of course, people I was talking to in the past week were talking about the difficulty of charging the vehicles, still a big problem. And they were also mentioning the higher insurance costs, Well, they'll go even higher if they have more accidents, which are more expensive to fix. EV prices, of course, are starting to fall as demand is beginning to wane. Well, there's more trouble in waterways this week as Iran seized an oil tanker with Iraqi crew destined for Turkey on Thursday. This was supposedly in retaliation for the confiscation last year of the same vessel and its oil by the US. Iranian state media... Reported, A seizure of the Marshall Islands flagged St Nicholas coincides with the attacks by Yemen-Iran-backed Houthi militias targeting Red Sea routes. They accused the United States of theft of the Iranian oil in the past year. The Pentagon said Iranian forces unlawfully bordered the St Nicholas in the Gulf of Oman and forced it to change course towards Iranian territorial waters. And the White House, of course, condemned the action. Well the trouble in the Red Sea continues and of course many ships have been forced to travel along the longer route around the Cape of Good Hope which I reported last week. But it's also taken a turn for the worse this week with Operation Prosperity Guardian and UK and US forces attacking Houthi rebel strongholds in Yemen. I mean I suppose the crazy thing is Surely the Houthi rebels didn't expect that there would be no backlash from the global maritime trade disruptions caused by them. And of course they attacked a British ship in the Red Sea earlier in the week. So the action seems a a proportionate response to what the Houthis have been dishing out for weeks. Well it will come as no surprise then that the Operation Prosperity Guardian the United States and its allies this week decided to attack Houthi strategic points in Yemen, in an attempt to try and stop these attacks on civilian ships entering the Suez Canal at the Bab al-Mandeb Strait. If ships have to sail round the Suez Canal, it adds at least 10 days to the journey time, and an extra 4,000 miles, which can actually cost a large container ship an extra million dollars in fuel. If a ship goes up sewers and takes that particular route through the Red Sea into sewers, it takes 26 days, it's about 8,500 nautical miles, whereas if you go round the Cape of Good Hope, it's 36 days and over 12,000 miles. 15% of world shipping travels through sewers, and volumes have been 50 or 60% down, as we've mentioned, since December. One person told me this week that a container that was costing him $800 in the last quarter of last year, is now costing around $4,000, which is a five-fold increase on his cost. But the average cost, according to many, has increased by 200-300% to 300% since these attacks began. Goods, fuel and food are all affected. So let's hope that this problem goes away fast, but many think that's unlikely. Attacks on shipping are often the Province of criminal gangs trying to seize cargo and trying to take control, and we should see it for what it is it's a criminal act. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've learned something from listening to the news roundup all about supply chain advantage, everything impacting global supply chains this week. And I'll see you with the midweek edition out on Tuesday next week. And I'll be back again this time next week with another news roundup. In the meantime, drop by the website, pick up any episodes you've missed, and make sure you stay informed, keep up to date, and are able to stay abreast of everything that's happening in the global supply chains. I'm Tony Hines, I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now.